Welcome back to Start Kyle Orton. I am Travis, your host, and I'm pre-tilted. Kyle, you're taking a break from your busy schedule of just getting shit on by Vikings fans. Here. Vikings Twitter over Jordan Addison. We'll get to that next week, probably. Yeah, people are very mad at me because I made the bold, controversial take of pointing out literally just his measurements. I pointed out that this man is short and he is very skinny and that guys his size are usually not very good. That was all I did, and that was too much for Skull Nation. So, um, anyways, but that's not what we're here tonight to talk about. We'll, we'll, we'll probably get into what other teams in the NFL did in the draft next week, I think is the plan. But while while the draft is still hot and fresh in our minds, we wanted to talk about who the Chicago Bears actually did draft after all of our weeks of prepping for who they might draft. Um and I think Travis, outside of the euphoria that we felt in 2021 just from the Bears getting Justin Fields, is it safe to say this is like the best you have felt after a Bears draft since, God, I don't know, when was the last time you felt this good after a Bears draft? Probably the year they Uh-oh. took Alshon. We were so excited about Alshon in round two. But then again, we did I mean, both. But we were not real happy about Shea McClellan in round one, so I feel like... I was going to say, that that got very mitigated by taking Shea McClellan in round one, but yeah. we were both on Alshon in round two. Uh, I felt really good about the Justin Fields draft, because I didn't expect shit out of that draft. And then we got yeah. my favorite quarterback. Right, yeah, I, that's it. Fields is kind of his own, his own thing. I was not that excited about the rest of that class. I honestly can't even remember who they took after Tevin in round two. Did they even take anybody else? Did anybody make, I don't remember who they had in 2021. Um, But yeah, I think this is uh, just speaking of a draft class, like a lot of like multiple guys in the same draft. I think this is the best I have felt about a bears draft in a long, long ass time. Is this the same for you? Yeah, I have a, I don't know. I don't. I have a lot of complicated feelings about this draft. That's good. That's and we're going to work through them tonight, man. Yeah, we'll we're going to work through them all. Well, so let's well let's start off with we talked about. If you guys listened to our live draft reaction, and surprisingly, the data that Travis so lovingly compiles for me says that a lot of you did, which is amazing. way too many people. Oh my like, god! <laughs> Listening to us for four hours—that's amazing. I mean, that sounds like that sounds awesome to me. I love to listen to myself talk, but I didn't think all of you loved to listen to me talk. <laughs> that much but anyways if you listen to that draft you listen to that live reaction if you go back the week before the draft when we were talking about what the bears should do spoiler alert i don't think anyone is surprised we both really love that they ended up with darnell Wright. that was the guy we said we hoped they walked out of the first round with and they found a way to do it um so they're they're with that particular pick with that particular player there's really nothing to say i mean it's the biggest need on the roster um, and they took to both of us decided was the best tackle prospect in the draft. I think even if Paris Johnson Jr. had been on the board, we both agreed that we still wanted Darnell Wright. Um, yep. He's the best, the best and most polished pass protector in the draft. Um, by Ryan Poles' beloved relative athletic score, the biggest athletic freak of these tackles, because um, a big a big boy should not be able to grill on the roof to the extent that this man does. So he's just a big, fast, athletic dude. Um, so there's just nothing to complain about with Darnell Wright. Um, 
the only thing that there that some people have found to complain about about Darnell Wright, however, is the guy they passed on to take him. So the the dream the dream scenario occurred on draft night. Jalen Carter was there. He was there at nine. The Bears could have taken him. But they opted not to do that. They took they passed on him. They took Darnell Wright. Travis, are you okay with that? Are you okay with leaving Jalen Carter on the board? Yeah. I mean, um, I think uh, what we've seen after the draft is you got two camps of people. You've got the people who don't know ball, uh, who are just like, Darnell Wright, I, he wasn't even my best tackle because I listen to other people when they write names on a sheet of paper. And then you've got people who do know ball, uh, and you can easily identify them because they'll say, actually, that was maybe one of my best prospects in the draft, definitely a top-five prospect. I'm so glad the Bears took the guy. Here's the deal about Jalen Carter. I mean, you and me, we're not going to deny how good he is. Uh, no. Like, just from a pure talent level, he probably is the best player in the draft. Uh, but But nine teams passed on him, and the one team that didn't, is a team that more than any other team in the league in that first round could afford to blow a pick on him, on a talent like that. So the Bears, like the Falcons took a running back over him, the Bears would rather take an offensive tackle. The Seahawks and Pete Carroll wouldn't do it. The Lions traded out of six so they could do whatever the hell it is that they did. We're saving that for next week. I mean, again, if you guys did listen to the draft recap, and you sure did, I think at this point everyone knows my feelings about taking Jameer Gibbs at 12. (laughs) But but that's the point, is all those teams who really could have used Jalen Carter said no. And it's not just on the Bears, as I'm sure you're going to elaborate on here. Right. It's it's the entire NFL, except for the one team that could take that shot didn't take that shot. And I think that says something. Yeah, absolutely. And from what I've heard, I mean, there is more to the Jalen Carter story that's going to come out. There is more to his legal troubles. There's more to that that's going to come out. Um, and yeah, every so many teams agreed they could not take this risk. And one thing that's really... But the Eagles could. And the Eagles could for a lot of reasons. They're they're literally coming right off of a Super Bowl. So they've got a lot of banked goodwill. Super Bowl appearance. They've got a lot of banked goodwill. They have a general manager who has the safest job in the NFL because this man has proven time and again, and he proved, God, he proved it Thursday night, Howie Roseman is the best general manager in football, if not sports, right now. Um, they and, and the way I put it is this. Quite simply, if the Eagles get nothing out of Jalen Carter, if he is just a straight-up bust, does anyone think they miss the playoffs next year? Does anyone think their long-term future as a franchise is affected whatsoever. He's pure gravy to them. Uh, whereas if the Bears had taken Jalen Carter, and not only taken Jalen Carter, but passed on an offensive tackle they sorely needed to take Jalen Carter, and Jalen Carter ended up being Albert Hainsworth after he got paid, where does that put the Bears? That that sets back, if not completely blows up, their entire rebuild timeline. They just they could not afford to take that risk. And, and I don't know that I want... Ryan Poles to be this risk averse forever. We have talked about this. We've talked about it with free agency. Ryan Poles has very cautiously managed his resources. He's traded down to get more picks. He's almost never traded up to to get to get to get a guy. 
Um, and he did it in this draft, but even then he immediately in the next round then moved down to get the same pick, basically, mm-hmm. that he gave up back. This man is very cautious. He, he, he is not trying to waste picks. He's not trying to take big swings. Um, he is trying to slow and steady build this roster. Um, and I think right now that is the right approach. They, ju- they need to hit, like I said, we talked about this with this pick. They need to hit a double with this pick at least. It's going to be great if they hit a home run. We both think Darnell Wright could be a home run. We think he could be a pro bowler. We think he could be mm-hmm. Tristan Wirfs at right tackle. But he needed to, to hit a double. And I think there's a very good chance that at worst Darnell Wright is just a solid starter at right tackle. At worst with Jalen Carter, he's nothing. Defensive tackles bust. They bust all the time. And they don't really. There's not really a fallback option like Darnell Wright. We think worst case scenario, he's a solid tackle. But even more than that, worst case scenario is if he truly is bad at tackle, you move that guy to guard and see what he can do. And history says a guy like him probably moves inside and is at least a solid guard. That's always the benefit of taking an offensive tackle in the first round. They often they have that fallback option. There are so many different ways that the Darnell Wright pick can be a success. There's only one way that the Jalen Carter would have been a pick. It would have been a success. And if he had not been a success, it really screws over the rebuild. So I'm not mad that Ryan Poles passed on the best player available for the need, as we talked about. Mm -hmm. The one thing I am mad about, and I, I try not to care too much about draft grades. I really, I think that's a pointless exercise for the most part. I am, there have been multiple people who have slammed Ryan Poles and Ryan Poles specifically for passing on Jalen Carter for Darnell Wright. And the thing is, in a, in a vacuum, I am okay with that. I am okay with saying to a GM, you passed on the best player available for a need. Boo. Boo, shame on you. But what bothers me is I am not seeing from those same guys that same heat applied to every other general manager in that top 10 who did not take Jalen Carter. And and look, I think we all agree the Panthers are exempt. At number one, you got to take a quarterback. The Texans, at two, are exempt. you got to take a quarterback. At three, the Texans are exempt because they took Will Anderson, the other defensive player, who you would agree was a blue chipper in this draft. But everyone after those two teams, and the Colts, obviously the Colts have to take Anthony Richardson at four. Um, but everyone after that, the Arizona Cardinals passing on this man to trade back. Boo on them. You passed on the best player available in the draft. The Seattle Seahawks passing on this man to take a cornerback, even though it's a corner that we both really like. Boo on you. You passed on the best player available in the draft. The Detroit Lions, you traded down from six to take a running back instead of taking this man. Boo on you. The Atlanta Falcons, you passed on this man to take a running back. The Las Vegas Raiders, you passed on this man to take a worse defensive lineman who currently has a broken foot. Yeah. All of these teams passed. And so there's there is... One thing we can... There's there's two conclusions we can draw from this. A, either they're all fucking idiots and they all deserve the same amount of scorn that I'm seeing Ryan Poles get for passing on Jalen Carter for Darnell Wright. Or B, there's some shit in Jalen Carter's history, including the stuff that we know about and on top of the stuff that we know about, that makes him worth passing on and that made it him a risk that, that nine GMs couldn't stomach. And I think that's fine. I think it is fine to give all of them a pass for not wanting to deal with that, not wanting to take that risk. And I want that just—I just want that applied. I'm, I, we're not 
staunch Ryan Poles defenders. We have come... I've taken heat for being too critical on the guy, especially during free agency. But I think it's ridiculous that this guy is the only GM I have seen being consistently treated as a as a moron for passing on Jalen Carter for a different player. When other players... I mean, Jalen... I mean, Ryan Poles passed on this guy to take what we agree is a premium position. He took an offensive tackle to take what we thought was the best tackle on the board and to take what was his arguably his team's biggest need. That is, to me, far more defensible than the Atlanta Falcons passing on Jalen Carter for a running back or the Raiders passing on him for another defensive lineman who is injured and older. So I don't care that you if you think... It was a bad decision to pass on Jalen Carter and draft anybody else. I just if you if that's your opinion, you better be applying it the same to every other GM who did that. And I'm just not seeing that right now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I think the Jalen Carter thing is done. I mean, unfortunately, I do think it's going to follow Ryan around for at least a year or two. They're going to be like, right. well, if Jalen Carter does well, oh, the Bears could have had Jalen Carter or something like that. Now, of yeah, course, it's... we've. I think we've talked enough about Darno right over the last whatever couple weeks, uh, maybe month, uh, for everybody to know that we love the guy. We think he's going to be maybe an all-pro uh, here someday. He's just that good. But it's not like we didn't do anything at defensive tackle. No, it's not it's... like we just need to compare uh, Darno right to Jalen Carter. We have two guys who we're going to be comparing to Jalen Carter, I think, much yeah, more. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean... Well, and I, the opportunity cost, and we talked about this in the end of that episode, was huge. If you took Jalen Carter and you passed on the tackles available at nine, the gulf between that pick and pick 53 in terms of finding an offensive tackle was enormous. And it played out exactly the way that oh, I saw. I saw uh, I saw a fucking guy say he would rather, uh, he was totally fine with Tyler Steen playing tackle for the Bears this year, all year long. Totally Eagles, fine. The Eagles have that man listed as a guard already. He's, the, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, the, the yeah, and so, just, it's the, the fuck, they don't know ball, Kyle. They, they don't, don't know ball. ball. They are not ball knowers. We know ball. We we know balls so, so well. Um, but yeah, uh, it played out exactly the way we said. They were all gone well before 53. Bergeron was gone well before 53. There was no one left. And then some of the guys that hilariously people talked about as second-round, second-tier tackle options, I heard some people mention, like, Jalen Duncan out of Maryland is a guy that, oh, if the Bears take Carter at nine, they could look at Jalen Duncan in the second round. That guy went in the sixth. So that should tell Uh, you... Dewan Jones? How far did Dewan fall? Yeah, that should tell you what the NFL actually thought of some of these second-tier offensive tackles. It was a gulf. It was a cavern, and we told you that. The safer thing for the most important thing for we've said this before, the most important thing for the 2023 Bears, and we would love to see them in the playoffs. And and the goal this year should absolutely be to win games. We are not going to be happy losing like we were last year. But at the same time, the most important thing for the 2023 Bears is not to make the playoffs. It is to make sure you know without a doubt that Justin Fields is your franchise quarterback or he is not. And the only way to answer that with the resources you have for me was Darnell Wright with the 10th overall pick. Yeah. And I think, um, so does adding Jalen Carter to this bears defense suddenly make it like a top 10 unit? No, I don't think it does. Does adding Darnell Wright to this offensive line, solidifying this offensive line, continue to unlock everybody on this offense. 
Absolutely. Like yes, yeah, absolutely. So anyways, we, spent, we said we weren't going to spend enough time on Darnell Wright. We spent 15 minutes on it. Let's move in to the second round. So at uh, pick 53, the Bears were on the board. I know people were like, this is where they're going to take Adetomi Adeboare. The, the, the dream is alive. And at pick 53, they instead took a name that I was not prepared to hear that early. Mm. But I will give you credit. Oh, you weren't? <laughs> when we talked defense, you singled this man out. You said you thought I he did. would go way higher than I thought. And he sure enough, he did, and he went to the Bears. And that was Gervon Dexter. Gervon. 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 Yeah. Gervon. The man with the goal to be coming out of college and calling Dexter. himself senior. Dexter. Anyways, so Dexter. <laughs> They took this man at 53. How are you feeling about that, Travis? Uh, so I like Jervin a lot. Obviously, I, I like you mentioned, I brought him up a lot on the pre-draft episode. Enough that you admonished me. Like, why do you keep bringing this guy up? I was, I was like, would, yeah, you, I, would you I, cut I, it out? Yeah, I, was, I didn't. I And I'll be honest, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't even look at this man's film before the yeah. draft. I, he he, he ranked low enough. I mean, and to be fair, this is not a massive overdraft and one of the things we talked about and I actually want to say this let's just say this right now about this draft we talked about this draft and how freaking weird it was going to be and it ended up being weird there were the most trades of all time I think in any draft and also just we said and we heard from NFL teams there were like 20 guys in this draft that teams had first round grades on and there were like 50 guys that teams had second round grades on. It was always gonna you were gonna always gonna see some dudes mocked in the fifth by the public go in the second, and you were gonna see some guys mocked in the second by the public go in the fifth or the sixth, as happened with guys like Jalen Duncan and Adatomi. This was a guy that Mel Kuyper had in his top fifteen prospects list that so many people were like, is he gonna be there for the Bears at thirty two if they make that trade with the Steelers? People didn't know. That man went in the fourth round. He went in the yep. fourth round. The NFL was like, nice 40-time bro, why weren't you any good at football? And he went in the fourth round. Yeah. So I've, I've seen some people call Dexter uh, a, reach, a reach, and I want to say I don't really think that in this draft, uh, especially outside of round one, there really are what you could call reaches. It's really just a matter of, like, what does your front office value and how does your system work and who's the scheme fits? And one thing that we know about our front office with beyond a shadow of a doubt, looking at the players they drafted this year, signed this year, drafted last year, Ryan Poles wants freak fucking athletes. He wants freak athletes. And one thing yeah. I can say about this guy and the next guy they took, Zach Pickens, both Dexter and Pickens are freak athletes. The- I feel like you forgot one guy in the middle there. But Terry yes, Jesus. all three of the next guys they took yeah. are freak athletes. The downside, um, so yeah. the downside to all three of them, though, and I, I think you're going to go here, too, is at this point in time, that's kind of all they are, is freak athletes. I I think two of them. I think the next two guys are, uh, I don't have a lot of evidence that they're going to be a, amazing NFL football players. I think for Jervon specifically, the reason he stuck out to me, not just because, I mean, we mentioned it before, is the RAS score was high, Um and the way that I saw this Bears defense going is that they want the defensive line to stop the run first and then to be able to rush the passer second. That is it's not their primary goal. Sacks are not the goal of the Bears defense this year. And that's Jervon Dexter, absolutely. This guy, 
people act like he goes out there and he doesn't know what he's doing. The problem he had at Florida is he knew exactly what he was doing on every play, and his coaching staff was stupid. Now, I had mentioned this last week. I said, I don't know if he has this weird thing where every time the ball gets snapped, he stands up, he looks into the backfield, and then he moves based on the play. I don't know if that's just what he does and how he plays, or if it's Florida, and I left it at that. Uh, Ryan Poles came out in his press conference, and he pretty much said exactly, they told him, stand up and mirror. That's it. That's what Florida told him to do, and that is not his fault. But what it did is it made Jervon an incredible run stopper. The, the way he moves the line, the way he gets into a hole, the way he puts other people into holes, he can stop that run right now. The problem with what he did is, obviously... If, as a defensive lineman, the ball snapped, you stand up and you look and observe before you move, you're not getting much of a pass rush. You have to get a secondary pass rush off that because you can't bowl charge. It seems like Florida was asking him to do that. So here's Javon's pedigree. He was the number 12 ranked prospect coming out of high school, five-star prospect. He was ranked ahead of Jalen Carter at the time. He is an absolute monolith. I didn't know that. That's good. That's okay. All right. He, wow. he was. He's an absolute freak. Um, but his coaching was bad. It's the same thing we talked about with Anthony Richardson. Whatever is going on in Florida, just the state in general, has also infected the University of Florida. Those people don't know what the fuck they are doing with the yeah, people I mean, they have on the team. I made a joke about this on Twitter, but like, it seems like from Anthony Richardson on down, the general statement was like, look, the Florida guys will be fine as soon as you just wash the Florida off of them. Yeah, yeah, I mean, and we'll talk about it with Pickens in a bit. I... I think there may have been a similar situation going on there. I'll admit I didn't watch a lot of pick and stuff because I wasn't looking at one techniques, but his story is a lot more complicated okay, I'm than gonna that stop he's you. a one technique. I'm, I'm going to stop you right there, though. I no. think Pickens is going to be the three. I think Dexter is the one. The, the Everything that I have heard, I, 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 the staff, that, that they see Pickens as the three and Dexter is the one, and you seem insistent that Dexter is the three and Pickens is the one. No, I think they're all moving. I think they're all moving, but I don't think I don't think right now that Pickens can play outside. I think that's the only place he can't play right now. I think his well, I his explosiveness play. comes into question yeah. uh, with me, but I think Pickens can play the one and the three. Uh, I think Jervon can play the one and the three, and I think sometimes you're going mean, to throw his ass outside. Well, and I and I do think you, they, especially in modern defenses, you want those guys to be a little bit more interchangeable than they used to be in the past. And I mean, yep. and we've seen this with we've seen this with the Bears in the past too. Uh, when the last time they ran a variant of this defense, they used to run like, for instance, Hank Melton and Israel Adonage on passing downs. They would have those as the two guys inside, and Israel Adonijay was absolutely not a nose. Most of the time he was an edge, but he would kick inside right. to play one technique on those on those true passing situations, third downs, etc. So yeah, they're going to be inter- interchangeable to an extent. Um, but I do think if I had to get if I was had to guess which one's going to get more snaps, where I think Pickens will get more snaps at three, and, and Dexter more. At one. But um, so what I wanted to bring up. I don't know if I'd be willing to make a bet on that, but I think just that the the place where they're at right now, and it's hard to say because we're going to talk about Pickens in a bit, and the oh, I think take we're kind of that we have of him at South Carolina. I think we're kind of talking about Pickens right now. 
I, I, we're, okay. We're about, All right. We're, so we're talking about these these we double dipped at, at defensive tackle. So let's just talk about them both. Um, all right, here's, all right, we'll just I'll lead in with Pickens. Pickens, he was the number eight overall prospect at his high school class. He is an absolute freak monster. He went to South Carolina and he disappeared into the goddamned vortex. Uh, and I think I just I just forgot about him. I just forgot about this guy. Um, and the reason is South Carolina put him into one technique and they never let him out of it. Yeah, and I, I, do, I don't I know why. Yeah, I, I do think both of these guys were misused by their college staff for sure. And yeah. I think that's did you have you had an opportunity to watch his Senior Bowl stuff, picking stuff? Oh yeah, he looked he looked really good. Absolutely vicious, like throwing dudes around. He had massive explosion. He he showed none of that at South Carolina, and I'm I don't understand where it was. I don't know if that's the way he was coached. I'm not privy to that stuff. But he was playing one technique. He wasn't being asked to do. A whole ton. So it, it's hard to say. And I'll tell you this. This is part of where I'm conflicted. Is the guy I usually like least in the draft is big prospect coming out of high school who disappeared in college. And then you bet on their athleticism in the draft. That's usually the guy I stay away from. And that is just this guy to a T. Well, and it, it frightens me. Well, it's both of them, honestly. But also, I was going to say, I was going to bring this back to Remember when we were talking about... Tyree Wilson and Lucas Van Ness and how I said not that you couldn't draft those guys but when you were talking about the freak athletes who didn't produce the way you think they should have in college I said the place to draft those guys is the second round because I mean when you when you're in when you're in the second round that is the place where you have first round talent with warts and these guys have warts or else they would have been first-rounders. Um, and so I think this is the kind of gamble that you make, because there are basically two kinds of gambles that you can make in the second round. You can either take the guy who produced but has questionable tools and bet on his hustle and his grit and his motor or whatever carrying him in the NFL, or you can take the freak athlete who did not produce in college and you say, there's something wrong with him and the way he played in college, but I can fix it. And I like that the Bears took a chance on Dexter and Pickens for this exact reason. And I also like, because I said this when when Eberfluss was hired as the head coach, the thing that always pissed me off about Lovey Smith as a defensive head coach was that everyone talked about what a great leader and a great coach and a great teacher he was on the defensive side of the ball. And I, to me, if that is what you are, you should be able to make do with less. And Lovey was always given the keys to the kingdom. He got whatever he wanted. If the free, if he needed, a, if he needed a, a pass rushing defensive end, then Julius Peppers got more money than God. If he needed uh, his three technique, they drafted Tommy Harris, and then they spent their second round pick on Tank Johnson just in case one of them didn't work out. They had, they, they double dipped at defensive tackle to do that. Lovey got whatever he wanted while the offense was left to wither on the vine and make do with the leftover scraps. And I argued with when they hired Eberflus, if, if your whole thing is it, and, and this is something that Eberflus did in Indianapolis pretty well. Um, Indianapolis poured most of its resources into the offense, and Eberflus did not have a lot of big, big money guys on, on that defense when he was there. He did not have a lot of super high draft picks, although they did trade a first for DeForest Buckner, so that counts, I guess. But 
Um, if you are a great defensive coach and if your competitive advantage or if the thing that you offer is that you can teach guys up, then fine. The first round pick should be Darnell Wright. You take the sure thing or close to sure thing on offense. You plug him in and you play him at right tackle because that's your immediate need and that's the guy that you're not confident you can coach up. You want just a good player there. And then you, Mr. Defensive Head Coach, take your two raw project guys in the second round. They are they are clay. Go ahead and mold them. So I like that. I don't know if it's going to work out, but I think that's where you put your money where your mouth is. If, you, if you're going to talk up how Eberflus is this incredible teacher and he knows how to coach these guys, then good. Get him guys to coach up. Don't don't just hand him first-round picks who are polished, ready-to-go players. You need to use those resources elsewhere. Give him second-round guys. Give him talented but raw dudes and tell him to do his job. Yeah, yeah, and I, I mean, I agree with you because all I can think, even when these negative thoughts, these intrusive thoughts creep into my brain about these guys, all I can think is, well, I'd rather have Javon Dexter at 53 than I would Lucas Van Ness at 13 then I would Tyree Wilson at 7, then I would Will McDonald at 15. Like, by far, I would rather have... Uh, because, because if Javon hits, if really all it is is you just tell him, okay, we're going to stop standing up the second the ball is snapped and staring into the backfield, if that's it, he's probably, like, what, the fourth most talented guy in this draft yes. behind Richardson, Carter, and Will Anderson, maybe. Well, and I mean, and we saw that, we did see this in the Lovey era. I mean, they Henry Melton was, Henry Melton was a running back at Texas. They converted him to defensive tackle, and, and by the end he was a Pro Bowl caliber three technique because this is actually a defense that, for the defensive line, it's not asking you to do a ton of thinking. You are attack dogs. You, the ball is snapped. You have one gap. Just attack it. Attack it with everything you've got. And that's what they're 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 gonna teach Gervon. Like all you gotta do is play fast, big man. Just like this is your gap. This don't let anybody through it. And you are doing your damnedest to get through it yourself. That's it. Don't worry about anything else. You would think that with the athleticism and the burst that Gervon has. This would be an easy. This would be a thing you can you keep hitting that hard G like the man's name is a Jervin. <laughs> Swerving like Jervin, girl. Um, that's right. No, so yeah, I'm, I'm gonna get all these names wrong because that's what I do. But yeah, the same with Pickens, man. It's just like just teach these guys to attack, pin their ears back, and go. It's a one gap system. Don't think. Just Ricky Bobby is not a thinker. Ricky Bobby is a driver. So just speed. Balls nasty, hot speed. Go through the gap. That's all you got to do. So yeah, I think that's we've seen similar guys with similar systems make something out of these project defensive linemen and defensive tackles before. Um, so yeah, I I, I do like, uh, and we've talked about this before with the draft. Nobody is ever really good at the draft in terms of always hitting their picks. The best guys only hit about 50% of the time anyways. The people who are good at the draft, it is about process. It is about not giving up too many picks and trade-ups. It's about getting more picks and trade-downs. And it is about your overall approach and whether it will tend to bear out success over time. And I think Ryan Poles, in two drafts, has taken at least 10 players in both drafts, which was really impressive last year, considering he didn't even start with a first-round pick um, or fourth. Um, and he's taken 10 picks in this draft. He, he, took, he ended up taking, what, eight picks in the first four rounds. They had one 
a one, two twos, a three, two four, six players in the first in the first four rounds. Um, he he said good process there, and I, and he has attacked positions of value where he should attack them, and I think you know, and in the second round where he's looking at is like, look, all of these players have warts, or they wouldn't be second rounders. I am going to bet on talent first of all, and I'm going to bet on my coaches to coach them up. And so I don't know if it's going to work because you never know if any of this is going to work. It, it, it's all at best an educated guess, but I have no qualms with the process. I feel better about the process and how Ryan Poles approaches these things than I did before this draft. Yeah, and I mean, I when we talk about the risk, the risk in these two picks, um, and we talk about the Bears and how their defense is going to work this year, you had brought up their defense and how they're going to run these linemen. I think the thing that just people tend to forget at draft time for some reason is that you have to stop two different kinds of play in the NFL. Uh, there's the pass, yes, with defensive linemen, but there's also the run. And that's the thing about the two guys Big we got true. is they are polished run stoppers. You put those guys in there, maybe they can't get to the quarterback right now, but they will stop the run. And before the draft, I was talking about it a little bit. Like, I think I see where the Bears are going with this. After the draft, I'm 100% certain these linemen are here to stop the run. They are here to put token pressure on the quarterback and to get that ball thrown into this back seven. That's the goal. Right. So even if, even if Javon, even if Zach Pickens don't turn into these, you know, quarterback murderers with 10-plus sacks every year, we're still going to have a good run defense, a good run-stopping line at least, and that's what the Bears really want this year. So we are hedging to an extent with these guys, but man, they, if either one of them hits that talent ceiling and they can do both, holy shit. Yeah, you can kind of see that they, they have basically built a three-step plan, I think, for fixing this defense, and they have sort of built it from the back to the front, which goes against conventional wisdom, but I kind of understand yep. it. And it also, it also, it has been based on, you know, where the value has been when they've made the picks they've made. They, they have not reached at other positions. Um, and we'll talk about that here in a little bit about one of the positions they did not take and two of the positions they did not end up taking in this draft. But they, so last year he took Brisker, he took Gordon combined with Eddie Jackson, who was already there and, and really bounced back last year before he got hurt in a system that really fits his talents, I think. And now you have added Tyreek Stevenson to the mix. They built a solid secondary in that regard, in my opinion. And they have put an emphasis on finding good coverage linebackers. So this, this to me, is a very solid back seven at defending the pass. And now... Like you said, what they've done is these two defensive tackles, whether they're ready to rush the passer at the NFL level or not, I think both are huge improvements to their run defense. And they have also signed guys like Andrew Billings. They've signed guys uh, like Walker who are good run defenders. And so I think what they're arguing is that basically we might not be able to just buy pass rush because everyone right now is trying to find pass rush. That's why edge goes so fast. That's why people give too much money into mediocre edges and free agency. Um, it, it just where we've picked so far and with our needs, it hasn't fallen to us to take edge to take pass rush. So the bet, the next best thing we can do is be good enough at stopping the run to force teams into longer passing situations and then hope that our coverage unit is strong enough to buy time for the pass rush to get home. That's what it feels like they have done. And I, and I don't think that's a bad argument. And, and analytics recently have kind of challenged the conventional wisdom that pass rush makes up for good for bad coverage. 
what more information is showing is that if all things being equal, if you had to choose between a good coverage unit and a and a below average pass rush, that actually is better than an above average pass rush and a bad secondary. I think the Washington Commanders this year were a great example of that. That's a fantastic defensive line. They were five deep on that defensive line, and they were still bad defense overall because if they didn't kill the quarterback, they gave up a big play every time. And so the Bears are kind of building their defense the opposite. And not that they don't think that pass rush is unimportant. I think ultimately their long-term plan is one or maybe both of those firsts next year might end up going to edge rushers, and then they think they've built a cheap, young, competitive defense in in that. But they're not going to reach for edge. They're going to focus on what they can do right now, and that's build a coverage unit, and that's build a run-stopping unit, and hope that if they get into enough third and longs, eventually they'll get off the field for one of them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think the the idea here is just to capitalize on a market inefficiency, right? We talk about this all the time. And the inefficiency right now is people don't give a shit if you can stop the run as a defensive lineman. They want you to hit the quarterback. So he's getting all these guys who are good at stopping the run because nobody cares about them. And then, hey, guess what? Sorry, we have the best coverage linebacking core in the NFL. We have a pretty good secondary, too. And now if we get enough of a token pass rush, and this is hilarious, but even though these guys aren't great pass rushers, they're still better than what we had last oh, year, yeah. which is how bad we were. Yeah, I mean, uh, the pass rush would eventually, you got to throw it. Yeah, so. anyway, and if, so you're, about- if you're throwing it into seven dudes, one of them's going to get a turnover. So I'm, I'm hoping the idea is to get a big spike in turnovers, kind of like during the Lovey era, throw the ball into that back seven and see what happens, guys. Absolutely. So we've talked about... Pickens and Dexter. Do we want to talk about the other second round pick? Uh, do Do you have too much to say about Ty? I, really I looked at Tyreek Stevenson. Um, I'm going to be honest with you, Kyle. I I had seen a lot of mocks where the Bears used one of those three picks on a corner, and I just I just didn't see it. I thought they would take a guard or a center, and uh, and well, they ended up taking a corner. I I think. If Joe Tipman had been there at 53, I think he'd have been the pick. I, I had heard enough about that, and I think they loved that Tipman is really not just a center. I think he's a guy that a lot of people think could really play guard well in the NFL. Um, and I heard, heard they were kind of enamored of him. So I think if Joe Tipman had fallen that far... They would have taken him, but unfortunately, he didn't make it. Um, I mean, they like Tyreek enough to trade up for him. Well, and then, and then, and then, I think um, again, we've talked about how he's played to the strengths. He's gone where the talent is, and not where it is, and he hasn't reached where it's not. Um, and the, the talent in this draft in those first two rounds, really, it was corner. There are a lot of good corners in this draft. It was a deep yeah. corner draft, and I think Tyreek Stevenson. Um, I, I mean, I think he's a second-round talent. I don't think they got, like, a super steal. There there are enough warts in his game. You see why he's there. But this is also a system that one of the things, like, one of the reasons I talked about, because people talked about Christian Gonzalez as a possible Bears pick at nine and said, oh, he's the best player available. you got to do it. One of the reasons I, I, I didn't think that was going to happen is this is a de- – I went back, so I looked at Tony Dungy defenses in Indianapolis, Lovey Smith defenses in Chicago – Rod Marinelli defenses in Detroit and when he was the defensive coordinator in Dallas after he left Chicago. Eberflus defenses in Indianapolis. All of those guys that ran the Tampa 2 and this newer version of it, which I think they they lovingly now called the Tampa 2.0. Um, 
all of these guys, and out of all of them, I think in, in like 20 years of drafts between all these teams, I found one first-round cornerback. It was Marlon mm. Jackson, and he was like pick 29. This is not a system that places an emphasis on like press, man, one-on-one, lock down your guy corners. They want big physical corners who can play zone and that can play the run. Um, and that is actually one thing I was going to say about Christian Gonzalez is he's not either of those things. That man does not like to tackle. He does not like to no. play the run. He he's he is your, I mean, he's your Deion Sanders type guy, which I mean could be really good, could work out for him, but it's not it, it's not an Eberflus corner at all. Um, so I never saw that fit. Um, and yeah, I wasn't surprised it took a corner in the second round because that's where the value is. And I and they do, I mean, I think they we agreed they did need another corner. I don't think it was the highest thing on our list of of needs, but like they did need one. I don't really want to see that much Kindle Vildor in my life anymore. Um, I thought Blackwell played fine to end the year last year, uh, but yeah. okay. So Tyreek, you hit the you hit the nail on the head uh, with Tyreek, I think, and that's that he is big and physical and he plays the run well. He jumped out to me as, like, the ultimate cash guy. Like, the guy who's going to float around kind of in that weird nebulous middle area of the field, play the run just as much as he's going to play the pass. I don't see him as, like, a straight-up coverage corner. Like you said, I don't think you're going to trust him like that most of the time. Um, I'm interested in how that camp thing plays out. They, They brought up in the press conference, somebody was like, well, is this so, Kyler can can just focus on playing inside. He doesn't have to worry about being outside anymore. And uh, and Poles was kind of like, mm, that's that wasn't really what I was thinking. Like, you know, he kind of deflected it uh, and whatnot. And I, I know that his strengths physically make him seem like an ideal outside corner. I wonder if that's where they're going to play him. I, I feel like Kyler might be on the outside more than he's on the inside with this guy. But, I mean... I, this is one of the, the things that I'm going to be most interested in camp is what do they have in mind for Tyreek? Because sometimes this goofus Malufus trips over his own feet. Uh, like, I, he's just, uh, he has all the talent in the world, but goofus he... Malufus, really? <laughs> he's like, uh, you know how like a, a, a Doberman puppy got too long of legs and kind of trips over him and stuff? He does that sometimes. He can't turn his hips right. Uh, he like turns too far. He falls. He he's in the wrong position. There's a lot not to like about him, other than his physicality, uh, his ability to stop dudes in the run game. He's just not very consistent in coverage. So I'm wondering what they saw. This is definitely my biggest because they traded up for him too. I just don't. Uh, I don't have a whole lot of faith in this pick, and I'm interested in what they think they're oh. gonna do with him. That's fascinating to me because I I like Tyreek. I think he's for for what the system of corner that he's that system that he's entering and what they ask of the corners. I I think he is a pretty good fit, um, and size wise and athletically, um, he is big and he is athletic. Like there's no doubting that he has all the tools. He compares to another second round corner that is near and dear to our hearts in this area. I, I, they're I saw some com- I saw some similarities physically to Charles Tillman. Um, well, I mean that's a hell of a compliment. Okay, I know. All right, I, man. I, it, it's not. It's not the. I, I shouldn't say it's not that I'm comparing him to Tillman as a player 
I, he's nowhere near as polished and refined. Although I'll be honest with you, I don't remember what Charles Tillman looked like at fucking Louisiana Monroe. I don't think I ever yeah, saw. Yeah. <laughs> but um, so maybe he was that wrong college. I just meant I think the athletic profile, the size that that the obviously if the prototype he compares to that that kind of corner physically, obviously that would be in their wildest dreams. That would be the player he would be. But if you're looking for like the mold the kind of physical type of corner. He fits into that kind of, yeah, the Tillman, the Bar- the Rondé Barber, the yes. big, bigger physical, plays the run first kind of corner. So I, it's not hard for me to see the fit there at all either. And again, I agree with you, there are some lapses mentally, there are some lapses in technique, but I mean, again, that's what we keep saying. That's what I was saying earlier. This is why you hired a defensive coach. You said this is a leader of men, this is a guy who can coach him up. Well, there you go. Here's your clay, mold it, coach him up. There is a part of me, though, that says, guess you took three of those guys with all of your basically second-round picks. We had the first pick of the third, but because the Dolphins didn't have a pick, that's the second-round pick. You had three second-round picks, and you took three lottery tickets. You didn't well, take a guy who's going to be solid for certain, right? You took a, you bet on talent. You bet on talent there, on all three. Were there guys there that you think would have just been solid? Who do you? Who, I, I don't. Is there I anyone? Don't, they, is there anyone? That I'll tell you who I would have taken. I'll tell you who I would have taken instead of Tyreek. I would have traded up and taken Juice Scruggs. Looking back on it, is what I would have done. Oh, Juice Scruggs over. Oh, see that over Tyreek? Absolutely. I, see, I think Drew. I mean, I I knew the Bears were interested in Juice Scruggs, and I think they, they were interested in Juice Scruggs at like one hundred and three. I think sixty-two. Yeah was an overdraft for Juice Scruggs. I think center, in terms of positional value, is far less important than corner. If the Bears had traded up to ensure that they got Juice Scruggs over Tyreek <laughs> Stevenson, I would not have been a fan of that. I, okay, well, let's say we didn't Let's say we didn't trade up. Let's say we didn't do that five... I wouldn't have traded up for Tyreek Stevenson, obviously, but they did. Uh, but yeah, I mean, at that pick, I guess if you've got four picks, you know, in the first two rounds... Maybe make two of them guys who you can pencil in as starters. Maybe don't make three of them guys who who might not start in a, a game this year. There's a real chance that Billings and Demarcus uh, Walker start inside every game this year, and there's a real chance that Tyreek doesn't start a corner okay. in any game this year either, right? So, I guess, all right. So, so at 53, let's see, you're... You're, you're 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 most fine with the Jervon pick. You you would have kept him at fifty three. Yeah, I like Jervon. I like that pick. Okay. So then, off the board after Jervon went Thule, who was a guy we liked. Rasheed Rice, who was a guy we did not like. I was then, sad Thule went right after. Okay, and so then at fifty six, they took Tariq. They could have taken. Okay, so here's one. All right, here's one I give you. If you did prioritize center, and if they were going to trade up uh, instead of Drew Scruggs. John Michael Schmitz did go right after Tyreek. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, I think you would have rather done that. I don't know that I would have just, and I I never really seriously considered it because Schmitz, for all that he is the most polished center in the draft, is an older prospect, and he is not a world-class athlete. So I kind of figured he was never on Ryan Bowles. Yeah, I mean, there's a bit bit of hedging here, too, because we both know who he's going to take. Yeah, Ryan Bowles would would rather die than take a guy with an RAS score below. Yes. <laughs> Luke Schoonmaker, I thought that was a reach by, by the Cowboys I did. 
Uh, Osiris Torrance, I, I know you loved him. I never. I, you I know like I like him. Osiris Torrance. Yeah. I like him too. I don't see him as a fit for the Bears' offense. We know we know they like their their taller, slimmer, more athletic offensive lineman versus a big old fatty. Um, well, which, and here's the thing. Here's the good news coming out of this draft. You mentioned Osiris Torrance. You mentioned John Michael Schmitz. The the thing we said before the draft was, this is going to tell us. This draft is going to tell us a lot about what our team thinks about Tevin Jenkins and his future as a bear, right? You know what this draft told me? They have a lot of fucking faith in Tevin Jenkins playing this year. A whole lot of faith in Tevin Jenkins holding down left guard because they didn't take anybody to sit behind him. They didn't take a center who could maybe play guard. They didn't do shit about that. They said Tevin Jenkins is playing left guard and he's going to stay healthy. We'll get to that in just a little bit because yeah, I want to. I want to. I did want to talk about that, but yeah. So the last thing I don't know. I'm looking at the the list of picks that guys that went after that, and I am not seeing a solid surefire starter at defensive tackle anywhere near. You have to go all the way down to 70 and Byron Young for the next one who was even taken. And do you feel any better about Byron Young? Do you feel about Zach Pickens? No, I like the Pickens pick. I'm okay. talking specifically about drafting corner instead Is of offensive line. Okay, all right. So you, all right. So that's your quibble. Okay. Yeah. Well, and you know me, I'm the guy that would have preferred they draft like seven offensive linemen, and I would like Hell to. Hell yeah. I, I can't get there with trading up for Juice Scruggs rather than Tyreek. I'm not, I'm not there for that. Okay. So anyway, we have talked about the first four, the four picks that were the highest value. Um, and then let's talk about the two picks in the fourth round, because I like both of them. I think you like both of them. I think you like, you really like one, and I really like the other one. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about them real quick, right. and then I'm going to be honest with you. Guys, we're not going to spend a lot of time talking about the fifth or the seventh round picks. Those are those are lotto tickets. I, it's great that Dane Brugler apparently had like a third round grade on the Cam. Who was the Ter- Terrell Smith? Cam Terrell? What was the other guy's name? Yeah, uh, something something tricky. He's the Minnesota corner, but I think he's going to end up playing safety uh, in the NFL. If, if I had to bet, that was a really good value pick. I think that dude is going to be. Yeah. He's going to be a strong special teamer, and I think in the future he could yeah. be a really good safety. The Football Outsiders guy said that he thought he was a starting Kyle Orton, so I get I get that. He, anyways, yeah. But the the default stance of the Start Kyle Orton podcast has been any pick after the any pick after round four is a yeah okay that's nice yes until, until five six guy, and seven I until, don't give a shit <laughs> until that guy does a thing he's not a thing. So Braxton yes. Jones became a thing. The rest of those guys you may have noticed were not things. So we're not going to spend a lot of time on the 5th, 6th, 7th round picks. The last thing we're going to talk about as far as who they did take uh, is, is the two fourth round picks. So they took they took uh, Rashawn Johnson. Yeah, Roshan. Roshan. Uh, we're going to give the Dota 2 name. That's right. Meet me. 1v1. Meet we. Roshan. I know you don't you don't understand that reference at all, but I'm so glad we have a dude named Roshan okay. uh, on the Bears at this okay. point. That's that's half of it. Do you want do you want me to talk about Roshan before you talk yeah, about your you, boy? You, you go off on your guy. All right, you tell me why you love this pick. So, uh, okay, first reason I love this pick. Every time we get to the fourth round, my brain says, okay, the best thing you can take in the fourth round is you could either take a running back or you can take an inside linebacker, or you can take an interior offensive lineman. Uh, They took a running back, and I don't know how they got this guy. Um, I'm stunned that he was there. I don't know how he made it to the fourth round, maybe because he didn't start, uh, because he was behind the eighth overall draft pick. Roshan Johnson is just a guy who does nothing wrong. He is the guy your dad thinks David Montgomery was. 
Uh, he he is a fantastic runner between the tackles. He is elusive. He has enough speed to get away from people. He's not like lightning fast, but he does have the burst to get away from people in the open field. He's a good route runner. He is a good pass catcher. And weirdly, his best talent is his pass blocking. He is a vicious pass protector. Uh, your quarterback is never going to be in danger as long as he's back there. And honestly, uh, the scariest thing about Roshan is he's probably going to take a bunch of reps away from my man Deonta uh, this year, who I really want to watch run through people. But this is my hot take. I think by the end of the year, he's starting games. I think Roshan is probably starting like the last quarter of the games of this season because it's going to be hard to keep this guy off the field. He's too good at everything. And here's the deal. They got him in the fourth round, and that's exactly where you should be taking running backs because guys like Roshan Johnson are there. I don't I there's nothing wrong with him. There's nothing wrong with this dude. Uh Yeah, no, I was just looking to see if your good pass blocking uh was backed up by the data. And in fact he did have a sixty seven point four pass block grade from PFF this year. Uh he did not allow a sack um, and allowed just three hurries total in the last two years as a pass blocker. So, yeah, he's, he is a polished pass-protecting back. Yeah, I mean, I don't really have a lot to say about Roshan. He, that's, he's a solid running back. You can always, It's part of why, you know, if you were there, there. if you were slamming teams for passing on Jalen Carter, I might, pass, I might slam the two that took running backs instead mm-hmm. before I slammed the team that took Darnell Wright. Um because there's guys like Roshan Johnson just chilling in the fourth round, um, but yeah, I think he's a, he is a solid player. He he has the potential to be um, a third round back or a third a th- or a, a three down back. Um, so I definitely think he'll earn his carries early on, absolutely, and he will he will be a contributor this year. Um, I have talked to several guys, several scouts who have said basically if that man was not backing up Bijan Robinson. Uh, he would probably have been more like a second round pick at, if he mm-hmm. didn't transfer. And they, they, you know, and, and scouts love to praise guys who don't transfer. They just fucking love it. And they were like, it says a lot about him that he didn't transfer. And I was like, yeah, it says that he's probably not very good at making business decisions for himself. But um, <laughs> that's what we like too. We yeah. get him for the cheap on a long term yeah, contract if he's any good in the fourth round. But yeah, no, the Roshan pick is great. The pick that I liked in the fourth round, because I thought that this was a guy that maybe the Bears would consider with one of those three second-ish round picks, because we're going to keep referring to pick 64 as a second-round pick, and you can't stop us, Roger Goodell. Um, I thought they would consider this guy. Tyler Scott from the University of Cincinnati is just an outstanding... He is a speedy, speedy motherfucker. Uh, absolutely an athlete. We love, uh, you know, Poles loves his, I'm trying to pull up the, the RAS here. So Tyler Scott had an 8.6 RAS out of 10. So an excellent athlete. He had a 4.39 40-yard dash, and that shows up on the tape. This guy averaged almost 45 yards per touchdown in college. He is an explosive player. Uh, he tracks the deep ball really well, um, and, and and that's one thing. I think this guy would have been drafted higher if Cincinnati had had better quarterback play. Uh, the guy they had this year was terrible, and even last year, Desmond Ritter did a lot of things well, 
on the col- on the college level, one thing Desmond Ritter did not do well, uh, and then I thought I first noticed this last year when I was watching a lot of um, Alec Pierce because I thought the Bears might draft him in the second round. Um, Desmond Ritter did not throw a good deep ball. He left a lot huh? of yards on the field. <laughs> on those deep passes with Pierce running free with Scott running free. And I don't even know who Cincinnati's quarterback was this year. I didn't even bother to learn his name. The only thing I could see watching this guy before the draft is that he threw a terrible fucking deep ball. There are multiple plays a game where Scott just burns his guy and is streaking down the field and the ball is underthrown horribly. But yeah, Scott. And the thing about Scott too, is he, um, he's a converted running back. He's fairly new to the position of wide receiver in the grand scheme of things. And that shows up, after he catches the ball, he moves like a running back. He has great vision. He weaves through tackles. He can break tackles. Um, but the one thing I like is, even though he's a converted running back, he, he he plays like a wide receiver. This guy runs a very, he has a good route tree. He's very polished. Um, he looks like a natural position. He is basically, I mean, I hate to say this, uh, he, it's almost like Ryan Poles is taking a mulligan at the Valus Jones pick, and he was like, okay, mm. So last year, we drafted Valus Jones. He was a fantastic athlete. He, he moves really well with the ball in his hands. Uh, he's, he's fast and he's thick. Um, so now, this year, let's try the Valus Jones pick again. But this time, what if we got one of those guys, but he can also play wide receiver? Um, and that's, that's Tyler Scott. Uh, I'll tell you, dude, I'm going to win that bet. Valus is getting cut. He's getting I, cut before the season starts, dude. Yeah, I mean, he might. I <laughs> He might. He's going to need... I'll tell you what. He's, he, if I were Bayless, I would be getting out whatever machine they have, and I would be practicing returning punts, because I think if he doesn't show that he can be a returner in both phases, he's fucked. Because uh, yeah. I do think Tyler Scott is a much better actual wide receiver. And I think when we talked about DJ Moore, and we talked about why he was not just a great fit, because he's a number one receiver, he is a great fit specifically for Justin Fields because of the way he plays and the way he gets open... He gets open deep the way he plays vertically and gets separation. Tyler Scott, again, another guy whose style of play and whose strengths mesh perfectly with Justin. But the other thing I do want to say about Tyler Scott, because I don't want to overhype a fourth-round wide receiver, the nice thing about it is that this year, unlike last year, when we really tried to talk ourselves into this idea that Valus could offer anything, it's fine if Tyler Scott doesn't contribute anything as a rookie. This is not a wide receiver core that is going to rely on this man. If he plays, it's going to be because he has earned the reps, and whatever he does is going to be gravy. And if it turns out that they did get a steal in the fourth round, that's awesome. They don't need to have gotten a steal in the fourth round with this guy. But I do think just the size, the athleticism, the deep ball tracking ability uh, with the kind of quarterback they have, he pairs so well. I'm very excited about the Tyler Scott pick. Yeah, I think um, I had mentioned uh, a few weeks ago about my rule about turning on college football games and then uh, yelling, who the fuck is that guy? Uh, And then doing it again when I watch that team the next time. And I did do that with Tyler Scott. Um, He just... He blows past people, but I, I, I will be the first to admit that mid-major college programs, or even uh, you know guys who They're, just aren't on like Alabama or aren't on LSU, you know, aren't constantly playing top competition. It's hard for me personally to tell if it's the talent, if yeah, it's I mean, the scheme. You know, Luke Fickle has been yeah. whooping ass at Cincinnati, so it, it's hard to tell. But man. 
he seems he out. really he awesome. Really, he really he stands, out. stands out. And just a dude, like I said, he, he very similar to Valus Jones once the ball is in his hands. Because, I mean, to give Valus credit, he averaged like 16 yards per touch last year. When the ball was in his hands, he was legitimately explosive. He was hard to tackle. Yeah. He was that. The problem, as we saw, was getting the ball into his hands without him fumbling it or dropping it or punting it or pooping and shitting on it and crying um, <laughs> and, and, and dishonoring all of us. Um, yeah. Scott might be better at that part of, of the game of football. Uh, but yeah, I, I think this is a dude who I, I think he probably will be involved in the offense um, early on as a specialist in terms of a guy that they put on there in specific sets when they're trying to get guys open deep. Um, but I do think he could down the road earn a bigger role than that. It's funny. I've seen a lot of bears fans who today are like, cause I thought I was super high on the Scott pick, but I've seen some bears fans today who are like, well, now that they've drafted Tyler Scott, does this make Darnell Mooney expendable via trade? And, and I was like, well, let's, let's slow our roll here a little bit. I was like, first of all, we don't know that Tyler Scott's any good yet. Second of all, if he is, I know this is crazy for us to grasp as bears fans, but in today's NFL, uh, good offenses sometimes have as many as as three or even four good wide receivers. That's a thing mm. you can have. You can put as many as five of those guys on the field at one time. It's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah, it's you wild. can do that. There's no laws against it or anything. Um, yeah. So yeah. Well, I, the I, beauty, like I, I feel like that ignores the way Poles has set this team up. Right? We've got two very good wide receivers whose contracts run out this off season. If one of the two is good, we can re-sign that one and let the other one go. And then, yes, maybe maybe if Scott was really good this year, um, then we keep that guy, and we've still got three good wide receivers. Uh, if both of those guys are bad, yeah, maybe he could step up next year and put somebody we've drafted and somebody we've signed. But it, do, it doesn't mean anything about Mooney. For Darnell and for Chase Claypool, this was the important year. And this draft pick of a fourth-round wide receiver, yeah. it doesn't change that. I mean, I, I do think Tyler Scott threatens somebody's job, but it's not one of those two. It's 100%. It's yeah. Bayless Jones. It's Bayless Jones. It's Bayless Jones. And the best-case scenario, I guess, for Ryan Poles as a general manager is that Bayless Jones has an amazing training camp. Um, and then in that case, you're cutting Dante Pettis and Equinemius St. Brown, and no tears will be shed there either. Um, but as I of right now... I can't see Equinemius getting cut because he's too good a run blocker. He's, he's I, a, it's he's just, a run blocker. He knows the system. It's just it's that, last, it's that last spot. There's no way Velas gets it. I will it. say I am <laughs> glad that they took a guy like Scott, though, because I, 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 it's very important to me that, that ESB stay as wide receiver five. I can live in a yes. with a roster where that man is wide receiver five. Anything above that, we're starting to get into problems here. Um, but yeah, so I think that's enough on the guys that we picked, or on the guys that they picked. Uh, I, I, I do want to say, I want to ask two more things before we go. Um, yeah. All right. Do we trust Ryan Poles now? I think we trust Ryan Poles now. I think uh, we mentioned this during our marathon broadcast of the draft, but I think we know Ryan Poles now. We know. We have figured him out. Because I think, so, and I said this before too, uh, there there has been this air around Ryan Poles this year where everyone's like, you don't know what this guy's going to do. He could stick to his board and he could take a player you're not expecting. And it's it's all been born out of a misconception, I think. Um because last year, everyone in the, in the second round, when they had those two second-round picks, that was their only picks. They didn't have a first. And everyone thought, surely they have to take a wide receiver here. 
Surely they have to help Justin Fields. And he took two defensive backs. And he stuck to his board. But again, if you listen to him before that draft, he said that's what he was going to do. And if you listen to him when he talked about players that he wanted, what he wanted in the trade for the number one overall pick, he said exactly what he wanted. And if you've listened to him since free agency, he has basically said out loud, yeah, we're going to take a tackle in the first round. We need a first round tackle. That's what we're going to do. And people were like, is that just GM speak? And I think what we're starting to figure out is span. He means what he says. And I kind of wonder if he's going to need to develop more subterfuge at some point. But, like, he means what he says. And he made it clear. He basically broadcast that pick was going to be a tackle. And then it was a tackle. Um, And I actually kind of wonder if if in this draft it did work against him a little bit. Because I think, I, I mean, I got wind of how interested they were in Juice Scruggs. So it sounds like so did the Houston Texans because they traded up to get ahead of this man specifically to take him. So I I think he's going to maybe need to learn to play the game a little bit better. But I do think Ryan Poles is not this 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 undecipherable person. He's not playing mystery. He is very straightforward. Uh, He knows the, the weaknesses you see on the Bears roster. He sees them too. He's going to address them based on what his board is within those needs at the places where he picks, he's, he's going to be very straightforward about it. So I yeah. trust him that I mean, the Darnell Wright pick was so reassuring for me because this man clearly accurately assessed what his team's need is, what his quarterback's need is, what their biggest goal for 2023 is, and also what the strengths of this draft were. Because you could take Darnell Wright in round one and you could find a Jervon Dexter and you could find a Zach Pickens that were worth gambling on in round two in this draft and that you can develop and bring along slowly um, and maybe find good value there. But if you had taken Jalen Carter or a defensive lineman at nine, there was not a project offensive tackle that was going to be available in the second round that you could bring along slowly. You can't bring offensive tackles along, along slowly. You, you start them and your quarterback dies while they figure it out. And they maybe never do figure it out. A lot of the ones taken in the second round don't. So I do yeah. think, you know, and, and again, not all of these picks are going to hit because not every pick does hit, but I do think the overall process for this draft was easy to see. It was easy to decipher. It made sense to me. So I do think that Ryan Poles has earned a level of trust for me that he did not have before this draft. Yeah, and I think uh, I think the other thing that I've learned about Poles, he really looks towards the future. He isn't just making a plan, you know, day to day. He is making it years ahead of time. Look all the way back to that Chase Claypool pick. Everybody was saying, man, it would be nice to have the 32nd overall pick. Okay, let's say that we had 32. Uh, now we need a wide receiver, guys, because we've got Mooney, we've got DJ Moore, and then we have a heap of shit on this team. We still need another wide receiver, and guess what? They were all gone, and this was a bad wide receiver draft. There wasn't anybody there, even 10 picks before that, who you would want to use for this Bears team on a wide receiver. But, but guess what next year has? Next year has... Four wide receivers I would have taken over even uh, the number one wide receiver taken in this draft. He's got that two first-round picks next year. He can take care of that. How about, let's talk about defensive prospects. This year, he takes two extremely talented defensive tackles. You know what the top of the draft isn't going to have next year? 
It's defensive tackles. We're running out of those guys. Next year, we're going to have two quarterbacks. We're going to have four wide receivers. We have we have two to three cornerbacks who are more talented than any of the corners taken in this well, draft. And if you want to talk about looking ahead, I want to transition to the last thing we talked about, which is what they did not yep. take in this draft. An- another thing that I have heard several people say, the 2024 first-round draft is going to look very – that group looks very strong – at edge. He did not reach. Yep. And, and this is where I was talking about, I thought polls approached it very analytically because people were like, you didn't take a chance on so-and-so at edge in the fourth round. Have you not seen? But what history says is that edge is one of those positions where the talent curve falls off so fast. If you want a good edge, you basically have to take him in the first round. And then it's not even really worth trying again until you're in the lotto ticket rounds like we talked about in fifth, sixth, and seventh where it's nothing ventured, nothing gained. Um, and so in round three, round four, he's not going to reach for the 10th best edge on the board because history says that usually that guy is not a goddamn thing. But you can find value in a running back like Roshan Johnson and you can find value in a wide receiver like Tyler Scott. You're almost you're probably not going to find value in the edge that you took just because you needed an edge. And when you talk about drafting for need or reaching for need versus drafting best player available, we talked about this. This is where it matters in those later, those middle rounds, those later rounds. Um, in the first round, especially in the top ten, you, you you should be picking from a good player at either position. If you, if you're taking offensive tackle, defensive tackle, so then you do factor in your need there and and your first rounder is a guy that you expect to start and start immediately but in the fourth round it's not worth it to reach for an edge because history tells you most of those guys just suck um so that's why i am okay that they walked out of this draft without an edge because i think it would have temporarily made people feel better if they could have checked a box for edge when he when he took one in the draft and they could say well you draft every single need but the fact of the matter is a fourth-round edge is not really any different than not adding an edge at all. The odds are you did not add a player. Um, and so I, I do hope to see them address the defensive end position with some with some stopgap veteran tackles now that we're past the draft, now that it doesn't affect comp picks. Uh, Jadavian Clowney would be awesome. A reunion even with Leonard Floyd would be okay. Um, I'm still hoping the Jets cut Carl Lawson. He would be such a good fit in so many ways. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm not upset that they did not take an edge because if they were going to take an edge, they needed to do it either at 10 where we both agree. We did not like the edges that were likely to be there enough to even try it. Or they needed to do it in the second round where again, statistically it's probably already a reach, but even then the guys that people were interested in the second round edges, most of them went before they made that first pick. So the best value there was then to take your gamble at defensive tackle and to take your guy at corner, and, and you know this is this is a multi-year project. Um, they got to have two firsts next year, and what looks like a very strong edge draft. Um, th- they'll get those guys eventually. And, and so it is. It's it's a strong edge draft next year. The fantastic thing about it is. So we're going to be. They're not going to go. They're not going to go at the top of the draft. Do we have two quarterbacks who are absolutely going one and two somehow, some way? We have four wide receivers that I've got going within the top fifteen. We have three corners. Hey, you like Joey Joey Porter Jr. 
he wasn't the best corner on his own team. And that guy's going to be in the draft next year. Cooper DeGene is going to be in the draft next year. Two left tackle prospects that are better than any of the guys who are going to play left tackle this year in next year's draft from Notre Dame and Penn State. The edges next year, they are deep, and they are going to get pushed back further in the draft. That's where the value is. And I wonder if polls didn't just say, why would I blow it right now on Tyree Wilson or Lucas Van Ness when I can take the sure thing at right tackle and I know next year I've got all this value. One of those guys is coming to me. Well, and again, the, the most important thing, for, as we talked about for 2023, is getting answers on Justin Fields. Because guess what? If Justin yeah. Fields does not take a step forward, you're not going to want to use those two first-round picks for an edge anyways. You're going to try to be getting a new quarterback. You're going to get Caleb Williams. You're going to do and your if, best and to and get Caleb Williams. In, but now that you've plugged in Darnell Wright and you have a functional offense, hopefully, and you can find out what Justin Fields is, if Justin Fields takes the step that we expect him to make and you know he's your quarterback, then you know you can use those two first-round picks wherever you need to use them. And so, yeah. yeah, you can use them on edge. You can use them on wide receiver. You can do... Whatever. So it's just it's one of those things where you just you, you you take the guy that helps your quarterback now, and then once you know you have a quarterback, then you can take a look at the rest of your roster and the draft board and where your picks are, and you can trade up for a guy, trade down to get more picks. You can do any number of things because you're not desperate. Um, yep. So yeah, overall, I, I'm not upset. And then the last thing is they didn't take a center. Um, I think I, we all would have felt better if they took a center, but... Again, the more glaring, uh, I, I don't think it's worth reaching for a center. It's not the kind of position you reach for. Um, I do think if Ricky Stromberg also had fallen to 103, that would have been a thing they did, but the commanders took the guy a couple picks before that. But um, it's not worth reaching for a center, and I do think with right guard being, or not right guard, with right tackle being solved now with Darnell Wright, and with them adding an, another solid guard in Nate Davis, you know you have two solid guards in, in Tevin for as long as he's healthy, and you and Nate and Nate Davis, uh, and and they put Cody Whitehair back at center where he did play well in the past, or Lucas Patrick, who we never really saw him healthy last year. Like I said, I've been down on the idea of starting Lucas Patrick, but I did put it this way: if the Bears signed a free agent center right now who was bad last year but had been good the years before that and was just injured last year, we'd be like, oh, yeah, that's fine. He clearly, the play was down because of the injury last year. If you look at his history, this guy was a solid starter. We're only down on Lucas Patrick because we watched him personally, and it sucked when we did. But the guy was playing out of position at guard, and he was playing with a club on his hand after missing the whole offseason, and he only got, like, what, four games before he got fucking hurt again? So... I, I'm willing to give them a chance on the Patrick Whitehair thing, scrout on salvaging a startable center that you hope you're helping between you're helping out anyways with two solid guards on either side. They fixed the bigger hole on the offensive line, which is right tackle. They they can make center work. It's not worth reaching for a center. The need is not that immediate. And again, in next year's draft, hopefully you can find yourself in good position to take an actual elite center that you really like and can plan on starting for 10 years. So yeah. I'm not that upset about what they didn't take. It would have been great if the board felt that they could take an edge, but um, reaching for edge, just historically, it does not work. I'm not upset that once that window in the first two rounds passed, they didn't go ahead and waste a fourth or fifth round pick on it. Cause it doesn't, it doesn't matter generally. It just really doesn't. 
Yeah, I just don't think that was part of their plans. It's pretty clear they're going to try to rotate inside guys outside, outside guys inside. Um, the plan right now is not like, yeah, let's get this fourth-round defensive end who, who can only like rush the passer or something, maybe on a good day. And like you said, not a lot of fourth-round defensive ends in the NFL right now who are just lighting the world on fire. Uh, it just doesn't happen, so... Uh, I'm not. I'm not too down on missing out on the defensive ends. The center guard thing. I really wanted to add a center or a guard, just some kind of prospect there. And um, I know I mentioned that spot in a second. Uh, there were guys. There were guys there. I'm gonna trust uh, polls on this um, because honestly, to this point, I feel like I've got a pretty good read on him. He hasn't done anything wrong by me at this point. Um, so I'm going to roll with it. But, yeah, I mean, I think I've let my feelings be known. Didn't like that Tyreek pick. Would have rather it was an offensive lineman. That's that's kind of it. That's all I've got for you on that one. I, I thought the Tyreek pick was fine. The, the, I really, there's really not a pick that they made in this draft. Now, I'm not going to pretend for even a second that I, I One of these guys is going to bust. That I watched like for any sure. of the guys they took from round five when Noah Sewell was drafted, I will not pretend my response was anything other than who, but yep. <laughs> of the guys that I did the first four rounds that I had watched all of them, um, I don't really have a problem. I can see the logic with all of them. I really don't have a problem with the process. They're not all going to work out because that's just how drafts work, but I, I can see the process. I think it was sound process. That's really all you can ask for. So yeah, I mean, like, like we said at the beginning, it is the best I have felt about an entire draft class that the Bears have had in a very long time, and it is the best that I have felt about the overall process of the guy running the Bears in a very long time. So I think that's a good place to end on on some unexpected some optimism. Unexpected Ryan Poles optimism. I hope yeah. I you know hope springs eternal. But yeah, this is I I, I am starting to see the guy at the top, and I'm starting to, to think he has a good plan. So yeah. No, I agree with you. I mean, I think next week we'll that talk maybe a little, a little more about that, that plan. a little religious there. I am starting to see <laughs> the man up top. He has a plan. He has a plan right. for you and your life. I, we watch Justin Fields behind a solid offensive line with Darnell Wright kicking ass, throwing we've two got, bombs to DJ Moore. Hallelujah. We've got a whole summer now. To talk about uh, the plan that's going on with these Bears, yeah. to talk about that beautiful offense, which uh, has all fallen into place now, as long as everybody stays healthy, cross your fingers and your toes. Yeah. Uh, next week, we're going to talk about other teams' drafts, yeah, because I'm so ready a, to dunk on the this, NFC North. This was a wild-ass draft, and there's there's a lot to say. There are teams that I want to praise, the fucking Eagles. Um, and teams that yeah. I'm, I'm going to praise even though I'm loath to do it. I think the Colts fucking nailed this draft. Fuck um, the Colts. I know, Fuck but they it. did. They nailed it. They did. You know they did. They you tripped on their did. dick and fell into it. Is what but, they, <laughs> but they did it with panache. Um, they did. They did. Anyways, but yeah, that's we we have gone over. We, we're we're really we got to get back on a tight hour. I, I that was a vow I made. But we started. The people week. like the four-hour podcast, man. Oh, Maybe yeah. we should just keep talking for another three hours here. Yeah, we should just do some <laughs> longer and longer Scottcasts every week to test their their endurance. Um, That's right. Anyways, so yeah, it was it was a good draft. Bear down. Yeah. See ya.